0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Diversify Her Podcast. I'm your host, Raven Hayward, and today I have Dr. Rhonda Taylor Bullock. Dr. Bullock is originally from Goldston, North Carolina, and in 2018, she earned her doctorate at UNC Chapel Hill in the Policy, Leadership, and School Improvement Program. Her research interests are critical race theory, whiteness studies, white children's racial identity identity construction, and anti-racism. Prior to entering her doctoral program, Dr. Bullock taught English for, most, for almost 10 years at Hillside High School in Durham, North Carolina, where she now resides. And Dr. Bullock is also the co-founder and lead curator and executive director of We Are. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing, Dr. Bullock? I'm doing
1: just fine, Raven. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Of course, I'm honored to have you with me here today. So, I'd love for you to just start off by telling us um, about yourself and your journey as to how you got to where you are today and what made you want to start We Are.
1: Yes. So, um, as you said, I am the co founder and lead curator here at We Are. I grew up in a small rural town in Chatham County called Goldsboro, North Carolina, and um, I always wanted to be an educator, and so um, I received the North Carolina Teaching Fellow Scholarship from way back in the day, and I uh, took it to UNC Chapel Hill, and um, there I majored in English and African American Studies and um, did a Master of Arts in Teaching program at UNC, and then I left from there to teach. Um at Hillside High School. I was a high school English teacher there. Um, and as you said earlier, you know, I was there for almost 10 years and then I left and decided to uh pursue a PhD in education. Um I am what I call or what Cheryl Matias, this scholar got the term from. Um, I call myself a mother scholar. So I have two um beautiful black children, a son named Zion and a daughter Zaire. And uh my husband, uh Dr. Daniel Kevin Bullock, he is uh the director of equity affairs for Durham Public Schools. So we're definitely this socially justice, anti-racist education, uh household, and uh lead our lead our children uh with that lens of a of a loving, liberatory, uh pro-black <laughs> environment. Um I started we are uh during my PhD program, and this was um I entered my program in the fall of 2014. And so it was a lot going on in our country at that time. um, George Zimmerman had been acquitted of murdering uh, Trayvon Martin. Um, Officer, was it Officer Chauvin who had murdered Mike Brown? It was just a lot going on. The Black Lives Matter movement was just starting up that fall. And um, you know, I just began to think about life, this world, being a mom of young kids. Um, my kids were like three and three months uh, at that time and just wanted to do something different. Um, I've been paying attention to race and racism from from a very early age. And I thought that we should work with children um, to help them to develop healthy racial identities. Um, to better understand race and racism and skin color and activism. And from there, it was like, well, if you work with children, you should work with their parents. If you work with their parents, then we should bring educators in the mix too. And, and so um, we are, was kind of born out of that. And uh, I shared the idea with my husband and then uh, some close friends. And so we all came together to, um, to bring, we are to fruition.
0: Right. And I remember um, I was actually telling you this earlier, but um, in my high school, I went to L.O. and I was on the equity team there. So. We went to one of your events that you held. Um, I believe that was also a part of We Are, and we were able to just learn again about you talking about um, like critical race theory, as well as whiteness studies and racial identity construction, and what you just mentioned with having a healthy racial identity. Could you elaborate more on what it means to have a healthy racial identity? Yes.
1: And so when we use um, that terminology, we primarily gear that towards children. Um, And when we think about it, it's in the sense of um, we want children to think of their own selves and their racial identity and their heritage in um, a healthy way. And by healthy, we mean you're not thinking you're better, your race or your identity is better than someone else's or that you're worse um, than than someone else. And and it's a way of appreciating your own uh, racial identity without diminishing the value of another racial group. And so we to keep it kind of short, we say we want children to have a healthy love of themselves and a healthy love of people from whom they are different. And so, um, but we need that as adults as well. But we primarily use that language when thinking about um, children and in our work because we work in mixed race spaces. So it's not just black and brown children. We chose the word healthy intentionally over the word positive um, because to work with white children and to help foster a positive racial identity with them felt a little tricky um, and made us uncomfortable. And so we chose the word healthy intentionally. um, And that more accurately describes what we're trying to um, support children as they grow and develop and and do it in a healthy way.
0: Right. So when you began We Are, is there one thing that you wish that you had known, or you possibly would have went about differently, um, leading up to now.
1: Um, one thing that I wish I had known was when, when I when I look back on um, the early days and how much time I put. Um, into it it was a lot um i was at when we first when i first started the idea of rest being radical and rest being an active faith and the need for self-care mm-hmm. wasn't as common language as it is now and mm-hmm. i definitely overworked myself um in the very beginning, and I think some of that comes with the territory of starting your own organization, like you are. you do have to put in more hours, your days are longer, you know, um, but I think there are healthier ways <laughs> to to do that. And um, I think that set me up to have unhealthy work habits um, after the initial startup. And so I'm still now, trying to better understand work life balance even though the work that i'm doing i'm passionate about it and it's not the same as someone showing up being showing up just to get a check you know it's my passion but just because it's my passion and i love doing this work doesn't mean that i have to run myself into the ground if right. that makes sense and so i definitely did that in the mm-hmm. beginning and i'm trying to undo some of those habits now
0: mm-hmm. and with the work that you do it's very Hard work and a lot of the work that you do, you don't necessarily see changes overnight, right? Because these are Mm -hmm. patterns that have been instilled in our country, you know, um, racism, a lot of people. Which is true, they say like um, the foundation of our country and just how it was founded was built on racist ideas and it was just infiltrated throughout our system and um, with you being an alum of UNC Chapel Hill and with me now attending UNC Chapel Hill, um, which is the first Uh, public university and also uh, a predominantly white institution, I'd love for you to uh, just offer insight about how your experience was here at UNC. And if you attending UNC, do you think that if that in any way, shape, or form has affected the way that you carry out your work that you do today?
1: Yeah, I, um, so one of the things about attending UNC for me is I come from like a predominantly white rural town in North Carolina. So in coming to UNC and going and being a part of um, the Office of Diversity and Multicultural Affairs, like I did Project Uplift and I stayed connected and volunteered and worked Project Uplift, like it helped to create this community. <clears throat> so when I got here, I was like, oh my goodness, look at all these Black people. And from my perspective, it's the most black people I had ever been around. Um, you know, different people coming from different contexts may not say the same, but that's that's what I saw. And so there was this nuclear community that um, welcomed me and loved me and supported me. And I felt like you know the black community was was fairly tight knit, not perfect by any means. You know, we <laughs> we still nuanced and and different, but I, I had that nuclear space. But then when you go into the classrooms often, and as an English major, was predominantly white, older male professors. Um, My classes were predominantly white unless I was in one of my African-American studies classes, which is now called AAAD. Um, And it was very different. I heard, and coming from a rural space where I experienced racism at a very early age, the first time I heard a white man say the N-word was at UNC, one of my English classes, we read in Huck Finn. And there was no preface. I don't know if you're familiar with their text, but the N-word is in there all the way throughout. And, and, you know, there's uh, sometimes that book is banned. Sometimes it's not. You know, it's a lot of controversy around it. But he read the text out loud with no preface, um, no concern for him saying that in a room with just a few black folks sprinkled in. And I just remember looking around and. I was just so uncomfortable and it wasn't clear that everybody in the room was uncomfortable. Like I, I made eye contact with another black female student, but it wasn't, it felt like a norm for some of the white students who were in the room and that was really weird. Um, and had I had the voice that I have now, I would have said something, <laughs> but, uh, but I think, um, For me, you know, for current students at the university now, I would say find your community, find the people who look like you, who share your values and um, and and be invested together. The um, again, the Office of Diversity and Multicultural Affairs was was a safe haven for me and all the programmings that we would do together. Um, I would also say being a African-American studies double major was everything. Like I developed a self-appreciation. I grew, I, you know, I decided to go natural after um, (laughs) being in the classes in my senior year, I decided to go natural. um, And I didn't cut my hair off until after I graduated, but uh, it was, uh, I think, find your people, get involved. And um, if you find yourself in a situation where you're experiencing race or racism, speak up. And if you can't do it in the moment, it's okay. Don't beat yourself up, reflect on it, and then revisit it.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: And I think the more we come together and voice our concerns and make visible our experiences, um, I think we see, we'll we see change. And I, I already see change. That's a whole part of the campus now that wasn't there uh, mm-hmm. when I was there. So I think it's beautiful uh, to, to witness.
0: Right. And I will say that with my experience of being at UNC so far, I've uh, never firsthand um, experienced any sort of racism, and I really have felt like there is a community that I can go to, whether it's part of the Black Student Movement or with me being a business major. There's also um, Carolina Women in Business, but there's also uh, like Black women in Keenan Flagler. Um, that's a community of us where we're able to talk to each other and as well as Project Uplift. That's something that I was a part of. And it's something that I plan on being a part of this summer, but actually as a counselor and not as a student. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but I wanted to also ask you, with you doing this work of We Are have there ever been any moments where people didn't necessarily respond the way that you thought they would? And how did you handle that whenever or if you've ever received any backlash teachings?
1: So I'll start with the most recent um... Now I will say when we when we all first started, like this is back in 2015, a lot of people would always ask, Oh my gosh, how are people responding to it? was the pushback? And initially I was like, to be honest, there isn't any. Like it was a lot of doors open for us. Um, we were doing uh, unapologetic anti-racism work from the beginning, and we just the door people were like very welcoming and allowed us in the space. So that doesn't mean every workshop and every training, you know, went smoothly, but it meant that doors were open for us. And so Recently, though, we were, well, I guess now it's back in last April, we were targeted by white supremacists and anti-truth tellers uh, because we do critical race theory work. And so critical race theory is the lens that I operate from and and critical whiteness studies uh, falls under that. And so if you're familiar or heard about, you know, all this anti-CRT rhetoric that became politicized specifically in, you know, the last year of elections. A group of uh, white supremacists and anti truth tellers heard that our organization was offering grants to educators to fund their anti racism work. Um, And some educators in Wake County wanted to apply for our grant, but they had to be approved by their school board. And so um, these anti truth tellers heard about our name being on the agenda and being approved, uh, seeking approval. And so they started like, Pretty much a smear campaign um, targeting us, uh, calling us radical and anti-American articles were published. Well, one article was published in um, the News and Observer. um, The Speaker of the House, Tim Moore. So the Speaker of the House, Tim Moore of North Carolina, (laughs) Republican Party, one of the highest ranking white male uh, politicians in our state, retweeted the article that really kind of uh, was biased against us and it stirred up really this racist white base to start um tagging us uh retweeting us sharing like um untrue saying you know we're getting millions of dollars from wake county which we're not um we haven't gotten millions of dollars from anyone although if someone wants to give us a million we will gladly take it um <laughs> But um, it, it resulted in like some messages and organized efforts at a school board meeting against us, and basically just telling these lies about me specifically, like naming me and naming my husband. Um, yeah. And we had to organize against it. We had to pull together community and kind of uh, reframe the narrative around who we are and the work that we do, and and to say that you know like this isn't. Um, white male politicians in our state should not be doing that. And, um, you know, this is around the time where you have white mobs traveling to schools and, like, causing trouble and scaring people and death threats. And, you know, it got kind of um, scary for us for a little while. We had to up our security. But that's not our norm. That (laughs) That is not our norm. That was an anomaly for us. And by and large, we... I mean, we're we're in schools, we're in PTA meetings, you know, Mm. we're in affinity groups with parents and families. And that's what we normally do Um, every once in a while. Even in those sessions, we'll get some people, primarily white people who will push back, who don't believe in systemic racism. They were forced to come to the workshop and, um, you know, they might say some harmful things in the midst of the workshop. And so for us as facilitators, we are we get a lot of experience and a lot of practice at interrupting uh, when people stand up and make those comments and challenging them. We try to lead with the lens of pull people in versus call people out. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we do have to do that from time to time as well.
0: Wow. I can't, I cannot imagine like the toll that would have taken on you mentally or just going through that experience. I'm so sorry that that happened to you. So, what would you say was your learning moment from all of that with all of the controversy you were facing and going through that? What would you say that you came out of that experience gaining or now having more knowledge of?
1: I now better understand our community of support. Mm -hmm. I mean, like people um, reached out to us, people came and participated in, these uh, multiple planning meetings to figure out, OK, how do we have an organized response? Right. Um, and we had a plan. And week one, we did this. Week two, we put out a video. Week three, we did a press release. Week four, I, like I went to the school board meeting and spoke for, um, for myself um, and just a community of support was um, overwhelming and I just appreciate it. It was humbling to have that many people who are ready to you know, put their name on the line for us, mm-hmm. to put the organization um, out there for us. Um, and the other thing that I learned is that we are, must be doing something right to get the attention of high ranking white male politicians in our state. I don't think I fully, I think they better understand our power than I did. And, um, and so I was like, we must be doing something right to to get their attention. And so uh, we want to keep doing that. I think I'm I'm kind of sad that that's what made me realize like the work that we're doing. I mean, I knew we were doing good work, you know what I'm saying? But if, if these white male politicians, which this was the second one, well, Phil Berger targeted our organization too. Um, and so It's just like, I'm from this really small rural town and we're doing this work. It's very much grassroots. Uh, At one point, we only had one employee. That was me. And then we just hired more employees. So for these high ranking white male politicians to target us, we're doing something right and we need to keep doing it. So even in the midst of all of this, like we cannot grow weary. We get to take breaks. We do get to rest, (laughs) (laughs) but we can't, but we cannot stop. We have to
0: keep moving forward. Right. And it's such important work, what you're doing and speaking the truth of many people in our country and just what we face and what we've had to face and what we've known since before many of us were even born. Just the harsh reality of the state of our country and how divided we are and how a lot of the time the system Is it built for us? It's built against us sometimes. And as we come to the end of this episode, a signature question that I have is what's one piece of advice you would give Gen Z listeners to go out and diversify themselves?
1: I would say to get to know your own story. What is your story? And recognize that I'm a believer. And I believe that uh, God blesses each of us with our own unique stories. No one else can tell Raven's story the way Raven can. Mm-hmm. And the things that we have already endured um, and experienced are a part of who we are. And um, that, and, and telling your story is powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to, Pursue something in life that's connected to uh, your purpose or your story, um, and it does not exist. You can create it. Like, don't conform to the boxes of these traditional roles that are already created in this white supremacist world that did not have you in mind. Um, Reimagine what a career or a a job or you know what it is that you want to do create if if it, if it doesn't exist put that education to work that that USC has cost you even if you came on <clears> a scholarship but put that time to work because you're smart you're brilliant and um believe in yourself believe in your own story um because it's yours and nobody else can can take that from you All right so that's something i would offer
0: Thank you so much. And for my listeners who would want to connect with you or learn more about VR, are there any events that are coming up or where can my listeners connect with you?
1: Yes. So coming up March 17th through the 18th, we are hosting our seventh annual Let's Talk Racism Conference. Um, We host this in conjunction with North Carolina Central University School of Education, um, ben and Jerry's Ice Cream. Mm-hmm. And um, we, it's an educator conference, but we have people from all walks of life who come. And this year, our keynote speaker is um, Goldie Muhammad. Um, you can find more about our conference. You can go to com, um, and that will take you specifically to the conference page. Or uh, you can go to we are NC org And that's our website. Um, our conference theme this year is What's at Stake? Understanding mm-hmm. the Attacks on Truth-Telling in Education. Uh, you can also follow us on social media at weare_underscore_org.
0: underscore O-R-G. Okay, perfect. And I'll have all that information in the description below for the podcast. I'd like to thank you so much again for coming on. And really thank you for the work that you're doing Inspiring and inspiring. Thank you everyone for listening and I'll catch you next time on Diversified.